I was involved in researching UFOs a long time ago, and it was very, very easy to quickly see based off of reports from all around the world that there is something going on. What if 90% of the supernormal occurrences that we hear about are true, and it's this 10% that are actually made up right. instances by people who are looking <clears throat> to create something sensational to make a name for themselves. The, the amount of sites that are ignored is, is really unbelievable when you really start, start to research into it. What we're seeing on Easter Island, what we're seeing in Hawaii, and what we're seeing, you know, in with non-Madal, there is a quality to architecture, whatever you want to call it there, that does seem to be unique to that area. It's mind-blowing. The whole thing is, is mind-blowing, right? Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Metaphysical Podcast with John and Rob. Sometimes in our show, we look into ancient civilizations. Sometimes we look into people and events. And sometimes we look into spirituality and the occult. But the best episodes of all are when all of these categories seem to overlap. And man, did they come together when we started looking into humanity's past. Have you ever heard of James Churchward, the occultist who popularized the idea of a lost continent of Mu? There are a lot of accounts out there about the lands of Lemuria, Atlantis, Mu, and a missing hidden history of humanity that we don't know much about. But what we found blows the top off of a lot of the rumors out there and gets down to some amazing information. Between John Vivanco's remote viewing data on Church Ward and my investigative research into the occult and historical side of things, you're in for a metaphysical show that's out of this world. Yes. And if you're listening to the Metaphysical Podcast or you're watching us on a video platform, please leave us a five-star rating and review. It's going to help us reach more people. Make sure you like and subscribe wherever you're watching us. John, how you doing? Good. Good. This, this is, is going to be a good one. It's going to be interesting. Uh, the next couple of episodes for all of you that are watching, um, we're going to start delving into some of these reports of ancient civilizations, but you can't really talk about them, Lemuria, Mu, Atlantis, without really talking of some of without talking about some of the folks that that originally are credited with with writing first about them. And even that rabbit hole goes very deep. Um, so in this first episode, we're going to be getting into James Churchward, uh, who sort of is most known for writing on uh, this lost continent of, of Mu. And, um, you know, he was an occult writer. Um, funny enough, his brother became a Masonic author. Um, and I don't know if you knew this, John, but occult horror writer H.P. Lovecraft con like constantly mentioned in oh, his yeah. book. Yeah. Which, I always found that really weird. Uh, the, you know, H.P. Lovecraft is one of these... It's one of these subject matters that we could literally have a series on it itself. And we may, actually. I think it's really weird that that he would reference these people. And so I haven't I've, I've not gone into much of a dive on Lovecraft in general, but the creatures that he, you know, comes across in his books that he brings up in his books are are honestly like like. Not that we've necessarily remote viewed much of that stuff, but but they seem to be connected to when worlds and dimensions were crossing over a bit more. 
Correct. Yeah. Um, and, and even, even stranger, like when, when you really start researching a bunch of stuff, you get into these movies that reference, uh, HP Lovecraft too, like, um, the Dunwich horror, which some whistleblowers have called out as being like a more of a documentary, even than, than, than a fiction. Right. And, yeah. and in, in this movie, you know, they're chanting this like Yog Sethoth thing. And, and, you know, they're like trying to bring these demons in and, yeah. and it's like, of course, you know, whether that's true or not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not really talking about that here. It's just bizarre how much of these things have really seeped into pop culture, I think. Right. Um, and and with Church Ward, you know, it, it's very much the case because he, you know, he he's he's sort of latched onto this idea of a, of a lost continent of Mu, and and this continent for everyone at home, uh, this alleged continent existed in the Pacific Ocean, the best of my knowledge, kind of encompassing Hawaii and then going down into some of these more Polynesian islands and things like that. Yeah, Papua New Guinea, and I think it originally started off ooh, off of Africa, but we'll get to this later because you know you can't separate these you can't separate these guys from Lemuria and Mu, and it's like there's so much that we have on Lemuria and Mu that it's we've got to separate them. Yeah, yeah. and you know uh, just to start this conversation off with Church Ward, I think now we're going to be getting into a little bit of this. Okay, um, the idea of Mu. As far best the best that I can tell really came from um, a guy named Augustus Le Plagion. and I may be butchering that. Apologies if I am. And Augustus, he he this guy had identified Mu with Atlantis, uh, but Churchward actually identified Mu with Lemuria more than anything. Now the story goes that Churchward met a high priest in India who revealed ancient information to him that was written on these things called the, I guess, the lost tablets of Mu. Now, the tablets uh, told of Mu inhabited by the Holy Brothers, and they said it sank about 12,000 years ago. And Eastern Island and Poly the Polynesian Islands are, are actually remnants of that. Um, and yeah, then it was supposedly written in, in, in the Nakal language, Nakal language, which was... Some some language that uh, only three people he claimed Churchward claimed that only three people could read that language at the time that he came across it, and one of the translators uh, was apparently resistant to help translate these tablets. And then what happened was, um, I think Churchward even even goes into a bit in his book about how he sort of tricked him into interpreting for yeah revealing the information that's interesting and and so some of these um ancient megalithic structures that we're finding in that area of the pacific are reported to be leftovers from this lost content of mu uh, i'll give you a couple of examples is of course that picture that Lindsay just had up uh for those of you on the podcast it was of e of the easter island um statues i guess you could say gods whatever they are um another one i found was this menahune ditch in hawaii um so john if, have you ever been to Kauai in Ho oh, yeah. hawaii okay yeah. so I've, I've personally taken a special interest in Kauai because it's like 
I, just something about the beauty in Kauai is so um, just amazing there. And there is this thing called the Menahune Ditch. Now, the Menahune were reported to be, uh, uh, it's, it's unclear, actually. There's different stories about this, but a, a group of, of builders, of, of, of small people, builders that, um, uh, that built a lot of these old structures. Now, the Menahune Ditch, this isn't, Actually, this isn't the best um, photo of this because some of the some of the structures are of the stone, almost of like an ancient stone wall that's so expertly cut that it would be impossible for the ancient Hawaiians to have done it. And that's that's sort of there it is right there. So you're driving down the street and you you actually see some of these stones that are cut and they're. Um, they're just it's too it's too much for for people now to have have been able to do some of this stuff. So, um, yeah. And and so then you've got the Menahune Ditch and then you've got um, Nan Madal, which um, in Nan Madal, you know, this is probably one of the strangest conversations you could have. I mean, Graham Hancock is like gone. I mean, he's he's gone off on this for for a while now, right? And you watch Ancient Apocalypse, and and uh, you know, it's a it's a very intriguing, special place where it just looks like it's. I think archaeologists are not giving this enough uh, thought, and they're not looking into it, not hard anyway. Yeah, well, that's that's pretty much the case with anything that falls outside of either through carbon dating, which is really fallible, or things that that just don't line up with what they thought ancients could build. So it's just ignored and it has to be ignored for a current narrative to go forward. And, and this is the kind of stuff that's across the whole world. I mean, the, the amount of sites that are ignored is, is really unbelievable when you really start, start to research into it. You know, it's, it's really hard and I'm resisting. I'm resisting really hard not to talk about ancient cultures and civilizations. So I'm just not, I'm not going to say anything. Right we'll now. get into it. Yeah, we will get into it in the next episodes. We're just trying to focus on the people who've revealed this stuff right now. But Churchward was pretty amazing guy, regardless of what people think about him. He had what he, he'd like developed a special alloy, a special steel. And this is what funded his expeditions and research. I think he made millions of dollars off of creating a special steel had a patent on it where they used for the the helmets uh during one of the wars uh one of the world wars so he was a military contractor and i love that picture look at his his eyes yeah he, he, <laughs> yeah. wow this looks like uh i don't uh, know they're they're like airbrushed goth magician version of of james churchward i know right here yeah, he looks he looks kind of like a potentially a sweet guy here. And the other one, he looks right. like, you know, goth magician or something. Well, they did. You know, they did that. They like if you look at uh, the Blavatsky photos, there's one that's like predominant. Oh, yeah. Everybody oh, sees yeah, yeah. The, the eyes have been airbrushed. Of course. Dude. Because, you know, it's the magician's eyes. Right. They're hypnotizing you. Totally trying to intrigue you there. And th that's really interesting about the, you know, the steel. And um, we've got these people um, that have just very interesting backgrounds in the past that were looking into these things. They weren't a lot of them weren't experts. They were they had a love of the of the information and they were um, 
they were looking into it on their own, you know? You're right. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, as an example, um, even Lemuria, and we'll, we'll get into uh, this a little bit later, but it's like it was first actually stated by a guy named Philip Sclater, who was yeah. a, he was a British lawyer and zoologist. The dude wasn't even a geologist. Yeah, he's not a geologist. He's not an archaeologist. He's like he's got money. He's funding himself to go right. look into this stuff because no one else is really doing it. Here's a photo of of what they one of the photos of a of a map of what they consider to be Lemuria, which was or or you know what the um the Tamal culture, Tamil culture, whatever, uh, is the Kamari condom. And, um, and we'll get into a little bit of that, obviously, in, in those episodes. But what I found interesting was, um, you know, here with James Churchward, uh, you know, he's writing these books, the, the Sacred Symbols of Mu, the Lost Continent of Mu, and, and all of this information seems to be coming from these tablets, right? But, but just before that, Augustus Le Plagion, um was interested in ancient civilizations and looked for a link between the Maya, ancient Egypt, and Atlantis. Okay, so now this is one of the first people to photograph and study Chichen Itza. Right. Taking hundreds of 3D photographs of hieroglyphs, artifacts, etc. He even excavated buildings. The dude and his wife drew maps and copied murals from there. And they found ancient altars and stuff like that. Right. OK, now. This is kind of the part that I like here is from his field work, like going there and checking this stuff out. You know, he he challenged armchair archaeologists by insisting that the, you know, these symbols of Freemasonry could be traced back to ancient Maya and that the ancient knowledge had come to ancient Egypt from Maya, the Maya culture, by way of Atlantis. Okay, and, yep. and he he claimed that the Maya artwork described kings and queens of these dynasties and their names. And he also claimed that he translated the first copies of the sacred book of the ancient Maya, which was the Popova, right? Yeah. Now, and you know, if that's not enough, right? The a collection of this guy's work currently resides at the Getty Instant uh, Research Institute. Right. In so he was, he was, archaeologists loved him. Like, like mainstream archaeology back then loved him because of the photographs that he was taking of these sites, whereas they weren't doing much of anything. And, and those were the really the armchair archaeologists that he were talking, that he was talking about, even though they were yeah. the mainstream, you know, uh, trained archaeologists, because they never went down there. Um, not a lot of them did do that. And, and this guy was fascinating too. I mean, he, his shipwreck, he had a shipwreck off of Chile and like decided he was going to live in Valparaiso, Chile after the shipwreck for a while and teach, you know, teach math, mathematics there and stuff. And he was also, he was also, I think at a doctor's apprentice and was doing electrotherapy and stuff like that. This guy was fascinating. This guy's a really, Renaissance man. He's a Renaissance man, but that's what you find. I mean, literally that's what you find with these old, uh, these, the, in, in that time, these guys, were renaissance men they did nearly everything and they were extremely well versed and they're the ones 
typically that have the ideas about ancient civilizations and lost cultures, right? So, so they're, they're investigating, they're going through, they're developing ideas and theories about this. And then you have the mainstream who, who don't necessarily go down there, but rely on peer reviewed research in order to craft their opinions on it. And so there's this huge rift between the two at a certain point, because, you know, La Plongeon was like, he was saying that um, cultural diffusionism was responsible for um, um, this stuff spreading from, from, I guess he thought it spread from the Mayas to Atlantis and then to Egypt. I think that's the path that he said it took. So Maya, Mayans were the original cradle of civilization. And, and that's cultural diffusionism. So once mainstream decided that that didn't really happen is when it shut all of his ideas down. But before that, they didn't know. And so they put him on a higher pedestal, but they still put him on a high pedestal because of the photographs that he was taking. So they shut down his ideas at a certain point. But all these guys, I mean, the guys that actually did expeditions and went here and there, they were the ones that really came up with these ideas about ancient civilizations and cultures. And I find that interesting. I do find, I find it interesting too. And I'm more likely to believe the La Plagions of the world than I am these armchair researchers. Because what I found is one of the biggest pitfalls out there right now are people researching from armchairs and not knowing what's actually going on around the world in organizations and all of these things. And then they're making these grand assumptions and claims based off of really peripheral data. This guy was there. Right. He, well, he's there. He's looking I mean, at it. He's in it. You know, case in point, case in point, like most people live in cities with a lot of light, uh, light pollution. Um, they, they watch television. That's how they get their information. They go to work back and forth to work in these areas that are just concrete with buildings. And it's where humans live mostly. Don't spend a lot of time outside, mostly in the square boxes that we call homes and offices. And, and they are the ones for the most part who say that UFOs don't exist. They can't exist because they're watching the TV and it's telling them that, right? And so once you get out to people in the country who spend more time outside, it's a totally different story, right? Yeah. The, the, the ones that are experiencing it, the ones that are going to try to find it as well and, and spend time in those areas will understand that these things do exist. Now, it's funny how what we have with the TikTok, TikTok videos, TikTok, um, TikTok videos, not the TikTok videos. TikTok videos would be minty. (laughs) Exactly. TikToks. They would be minty. So those in the Pentagon, the stuff coming out of the Pentagon that's been coming out of the Pentagon, while the Pentagon doesn't want to admit it, everybody else is saying, of course it is now. And so now these people are like, well, yes, UFOs do exist. Right. And they always have existed. So I say get outside. I say go do your own research on this stuff by engaging with it as opposed to letting someone else tell you what it is. I think think what you just said is so true, but it's really, really looked down on right now. There is a terror (laughs) of people going out to research stuff on their own because all of a sudden now you can't control the information coming out. I mean, look at what has been going on just recently. Um, as of shooting this, maybe a week ago, a lot of information has come out about 
UFOs from a whistleblower named Grush. And now you've got a potential huge domino that just fell. And all of these other people that have experiences are just, you can feel it like they're, yeah, yeah. And, and, and it has happened. Like there's been a number of people that have come out to talk now about some of these things, blowing open a long, long held secret about the potential of whether or not there are non-terrestrial craft out there. Right. And, um, and we've got, actual investigative reporters digging into this stuff and doing real work. And the funny thing is, is watching some of these news reports now. I mean, you go 10 years ago, five years ago, whatever, every single UFO report that came on the news was with derision and making fun of it. Every single Everyone. one of them. And now they're a hundred percent serious. And it's like, look, I've been researching this for, it has to be 30 years. I, I was involved in researching UFOs a long time ago, and it was very, very easy to quickly see based off of reports from all around the world that there is something going on, 100%. And it's absolutely 100% undeniable, right? But if people don't take the time to do that for themselves, then they're always relying on somebody else to tell them what's truth and not truth. And there's where the main problem is. What if... I'm just asking what if out there, what if 90% of the supernormal occurrences that we hear about are true and it's this 10% that are actually, that are actually causing the problem here. These 10% right. of made up right. instances by people who are looking <clears throat> to create something sensational to make a name for themselves. And yet then you've got 90% of these people coming out who are sharing information being like, look, I don't even want to give my name because if I do, I'm going to get like criticized and or like my style of life is going to be threatened basically. Right. Uh, just by coming out and talking about it, that's not healthy in society for that to happen. Like it, it's, it's like the, you know, you come out and you start talking about a potential danger and everyone's like, you're crazy, you're crazy, you're crazy until finally something happens. I mean, like that's that's the whole um, problem we have with AI right now where AI is being developed so fast. You have these people coming out being like, hey, danger, danger. And they're like, no, 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 shut up. Like, this is fine. Our developers are handling this. You don't know anything about the subject. Meanwhile, it's like, it could be anyone like even Elon Musk know. who knows more about this than most people is coming out being like red flag. Let's cancel the AI for six months. And you're still like, no, 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 you're dumb because you took over Twitter now, even though you're developing the cars and spacecraft of the future. And uh, let's go ahead and keep developing AI and uh, go ahead and, and, and play with that risk. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, 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 I know I'm I'm at a loss really as to what's going on at this point. Yeah, it's uh, it's 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 rough. I mean, this is the situation, but this is also, you know, kind of coming back to the to the subject here of of James Churchward. Um, I'm not sure if you looked into Jack Churchward at all. Jack Churchward is His great grandson or something. Great, great grandson. Yeah. And, and actually, yeah. you know, um, looking into Jack, I, I was like pleasantly surprised at the objective stance that he's taking on his grand, his great grandfather's work. Like he's just trying to facilitate information kind of coming out there. Potential ways that what his great grandfather 
um, unveiled like how it kind of merges with mainstream science's version of how human beings have moved around the planet right now. Right. And I'm not saying I agree with that either. I'm just saying he's, he's doing his due diligence to try to figure out how this lost continent of, of Mu potentially exists. And there were a lot of other scientists coming out talking about Lemuria and Mu and, and, and bringing in, evidence of this stuff we're talking about people studying you know like and drawing old uh like fossils and things like that and just saying hey there's stuff here that doesn't exist anywhere else right yeah absolutely i mean i think that um when i was looking into his great-grandson jack here i mean he had some really interesting stuff on his website the website looks pretty dated but he has some really interesting so because he's trying to bridge science uh, some science, scientific theories with the potential of there being a moo um, in general. Big con. So his, his the idea of moo is like it's in the Pacific. So that you know when you look at ocean maps, I mean it's hard to say whether there could be anything there or not with the lower sea level. But he's really trying to bridge things together to try to understand it, and that's what I find fascinating about him because he's done a lot of writing on it, a lot of research on it too. So and I'm sure he had access to some of some of his great grandfather's old texts. Yeah, which, you know, gives him kind of the upper hand in in speaking about these things to some extent, right? I mean, when we talk about what we're seeing on Easter Island, what we're seeing in Hawaii, and what we're seeing, you know, in with non Madal, there is a quality to uh, architecture, whatever you want to call it, there that does seem to be unique to that area. Right. Like, you know, I mean, non Madal is just it's mind blowing. The whole thing is, is mind blowing. Right. But I'm curious to kind of know, John, you know, what what your remote viewing data on Church Ward was. Well, it's like as far as Church Ward goes, like what we look at specifically isn't so much him as an individual, um, but but really, you know, his research and trying to understand aspects of truth. Because what you have to understand is that him and people like him, they don't know everything. So one of the p problems that, that humans, I think, have is that they will often take a person and put them in the category of being the all-inclusive authority on something and don't realize that a lot of these people are just trying to piece it together and they're filling in the gaps um, and not necessarily don't necessarily know the whole story. They don't know the whole story. I've never remote viewed any single story that someone's created that is a hundred percent truthful. It's like the Montauk project and, and Preston Nichols and right. Eliak and those guys, they, they have these, parts portions of memory and and uh, information and then they try to piece it together but a lot of those bridge points are are not true they're not false and so it's it's the same with church ward and you know what it is is it's it's look you know science today basically tells you what to believe but in pulling the sheets back a little bit what they're telling you to believe is actually a theory, right? 
And so when you have a theory, that means that it's still not been, it's the best theory at this point, but it's not been tested up against other hypotheses or other hypotheses may come forward to, to crush that theory. And, and I think that's a lot of egotism in general. And a lot of these guys had egotism in their writings, like Churchward did, where he's piecing things together, not necessarily saying that maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but presenting it as something that is truly like, this is the story of it, when it's not truly totally like that. So that's that's a lot of what we get in our remote viewing data. But, you know, and I'll save, I'll save really most of it for later when we get to Lemuria and we get to Mu and, and lost civilizations, because that's really where our remote viewing data goes. Mm. That is absolutely fascinating. As opposed to, I mean, just, you know, general character on Church Ward is, is, is pretty clean, pretty clear, but ego fills in the gaps. So you should never believe 100% what anyone says, even me or you. So that's that, I think that's the big problem that humans have these days, just presenting an authority figure as it being the end all be all. And I wouldn't do that. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And so, but to your, you know, with what you were looking at, we're, we're talking about a guy uh, who is looking into these things and is coming to conclusions and doing his best to tell everyone he's not intentionally trying to be deceitful to make a name for himself or something like that is what you're saying. Not intentionally. No, no. But so, okay. So now when you get to the, to the Nakal writings and the tablets that, that originally came from uh, India. Yeah. Yeah. From India. So, okay. So um, the, what was the guy's name? Uh, La Plagion. La, La Plagion. So, La Plagion, so, yeah. so he claimed that he he saw these writings, Nakal writings, in um, I think in the Yucatan Peninsula, right? And then you have Churchward later on claiming that he was taken to a temple in either Tibet or I think it was in India actually, um, where he was shown the writings, right? Now, when you get to these writings and remote viewing on that, whether that's a reality or not, it is a reality. There are like, like ancient tablets, and we know this. I mean, you know, you, you sent me this one thing on a Tibetan library that is yes. extremely old. There are these things that are hidden away, tucked away in different locations across the earth that do speak of ancient civilizations. They absolutely do speak of ancient civilizations. And a lot of cultures talk about them. A lot of cultures have them. You have also like the Golden Library down in um, Central America. I think it's I think it's somewhere in it was in Ecuador, where I think it was in the 1970s. I think even one of the astronauts was it not it wasn't Buzz Aldrin. It was another astronaut that went down there to investigate the golden library that a guy found in Ecuador um, um, where he claimed that it had information of a lost civilization. And this was buried in caves deep underground. And a huge expedition was done. One of the ex-astronauts that, that went to the moon um, actually went on this expedition. They didn't find anything. Um, but you find these things, you find these things popping up like over and over throughout different cultures and history, even in modern day where people are trying to find. In fact, I was asked to remote view and go on an expedition for that particular one, but I never did it. Never went down there. Actually, <laughs> when, I, when, we were, when we were remote viewing on um, the outcome of it, 
because, you know, oftentimes we will look at outcomes of expeditions or whatever to find out if anything goes wrong or if we, right. you know, find anything. The, the deal with going down there and doing that, it appeared in our data that somebody was going to get killed. Somebody was going to die on the expedition. And so we decided not to do it. And it was for a filming thing. Right. Um, I found out later on that the, the guy that I was beginning to work with to go down there. So he had been down there and uh, at an earlier point trying to find this place. And he was shot by poison arrows by one of the tribes that lived in the forest there. And, and so digging deeper, I found that this happened to a number of people. So if you do go down there and do that, they're protecting likely, it. Yeah. They're protecting it. They're protecting the location. They're protecting the site. And so well, and they're, they're behind a tree in the woods. You can't see them. And right. they're like, <laughs> right. And so, so that's why we decided to not go down there because the data basically said, well, you're going to get killed by poison. Yeah. John remote viewed a poison dart hitting him in the eye and dying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, and, and I mean, how many places like that are there? I mean, there, there must be like so many places around here. John, have you heard of, of this book called the vanished library by Luciano Canfora? No, I haven't. I just, I just found out about this. Um, the, the premise of the book is that what happened basically, okay, how it was explained to me is that the ancient library in Alexandria was being um, overseen by a certain person, let's say. He, he was trying to take care of the stuff that was in there. A bunch of it got stolen under his watch. And in order to cover that up, he had the library burned down. So that stuff had been stolen by a group already. He wanted yeah. to cover up that that had happened. And to do that, he set the fire, basically, right? Wow. That's now, crazy. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. But this is the first I've heard of a theory on what the heck happened in the library of Alexandria. Right, right. And that actually seems more true to me that there would be some, like, some really ordinary human thing that was going on. Like, okay, the... Right. The, the real story is like who stole from the library of Alexandria and what did they steal? Right. Right. Yeah. And where did that go? I mean, that's still the question and well, why, that's the, right? but the, see, okay. But there's there like that right there. You're just hitting on the main hinge point. So most people, well, I don't know if it's most people I'm so like in my own bubble sometimes that, <laughs> that I think it's most people, but it's probably not. Most people believe that, um, that, the governments and the, well, the religious institutions across the world and governments are, they want to hide these things. They want to keep it suppressed. And it's obvious now that that UFO enigma has been oppressed and being oppressed in general. It's obvious. And I think that's obvious to most people. So I think most people are coming out on the side of, you can't trust what these authorities are telling you. And so when you get to people like Churchward and, and those that investigated these early civilizations, I think people are more apt to believe them now, or at least take what they say as something rather than what they're being told by the authorities now. And, and I do believe that a lot of these ancient tablets that talk of this time when there were ancient civilizations have been stolen, have been taken out and, and put in different locations to hide it from the people. Now, why would they hide it from the people? Why would you want to do that? Well, 
I mean, for one thing, if there was a greater authority that had a different technology, a higher technology than you, you, you don't want people to think of them as being greater than your own government in general or greater than your own religious institution. That's because the, that's, that's, going the to, that's going foundation to crush their authority. Of, yeah, that's the foundation of communism right yeah. there. So like nothing can right. be above the communist party, right? That's to an extreme, that government. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 really true. And 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 the other part of it is we're not just talking about power here with government being in charge. We're talking about different power structures. There's there's different industries that all relate to this, including science and a lot of what I would call um, irresponsible covering up of 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 the truth to coddle these scientists who have a theory that they made a lot of money off of. I mean, you you watch like uh, or you you read a book like Forbidden Archaeology or something like that, and you, you can't help but have a greater understanding of how much ego these scientists actually have. Like, how could you how could you take ego away from a scientist that spent their whole life studying something, comes out with something, has obtained some fame? Of course, they're going to protect that theory. Right. Right. Like you can't expect a scientist to not fall into the same traps other humans fall into. It's just going to happen. Right. So this whole, you know, like spiel that they have about um, scientific method and all of that stuff that they use to defend everything that's going on is nonsense when you bring in the human factor to it, because you're just going to use the scientific theory to cover up your theory or to sorry, to protect your theory, you know, defend it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And then, you know, when you get to the UFO phenomena and the Brookings report that came out, what was it? 1960s, 1970s. I don't remember the exact date. The Brookings report was a a report that NASA had hired the Brookings Institute to create around whether they should tell the humans of of extraterrestrial uh, anything or not. And the Brookings report basically stated, no, you should never tell humans about anything related to aliens and extraterrestrials because it will crush the government. (laughs) Why would it crush the government though? Well, because again, there's something more powerful than the government out there. There's something that, that, that has a higher technology that has more power than current government. Could be. Is it that, or is it also that the government has been covering this up this entire time and it would expose them? That too. <laughs> but what was the original <laughs> reason for it? Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, you um, know, and then when you get to the Smithsonian uh, Powell doctrine as well, same thing, same idea. Don't don't investigate things that are pre-Columbus, basically. Yeah. And, and, and this seems to be a very prevalent problem that we have out there right now with all of these things. It is. How, a how do we problem? Yeah. How do we discover these things? And, and, you know, like there's been a lot of people doing different work uh, trying to uncover what's really going on out there. And in the next episode, we're actually going to get into the kind of like the I don't know what you want to call them, founding fathers of Lemuria uh, and and who they were and like how much of it could be true based off of the characters that are involved here. And. And, you know, one of those is uh, is uh, Helena Petrona Blavatsky, which I mean, 
in all of my research, I have a very interesting painting uh, to uh, or to paint here. Like I have a very interesting story to tell because you can't you can't separate what's actually what they're what they're revealing with the character of the person who who is revealing it. I mean, I, I, you know, and so once we go over all of that, um, I do think that we're going to have more information uh, on a whole when we start getting into Lemuria and Mu and, and what's really going on. All of these things come from somewhere else. I think that's the main thing that people need to understand, regardless of what you think about the people exposing them or whatever it is. But um, so actually, John, uh, we're going to probably end this episode now before we get into uh, Helena Blavatsky and Lemuria. I kind of wanted to ask you real quick, you brought up the Powell Doctrine. What is that Powell Doctrine right. before we end this? Well, it was from John Wesley Powell, who was the first director of ethnography, I think, at the Smithsonian. And he was a director at the uh, USGS. So he had explored the Grand Canyon. He was like, he was like the man on the ground in the United States for the exploration side, like mapping out the whole territory. And and he when he became the bureau of the uh, when he became the director of the Bureau of Ethnology at the Smithsonian, he basically laid out a decree that told um, archaeologists, anthropologists, really anybody that 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 nobody should be making reference to a civilization older than when Columbus discovered America. So basically he was telling people not to go investigate things that were of strange origin um, in an official capacity. Here he is. Yeah. Ugh. Well, that's part of the, that's part of the cover up of ancient civilizations is, you know, this goes into the giants too. You know, there were a lot of giant mounds found a lot of big bones, uh, skulls with double dentition. And that was, I think, one of the main reasons why this decree was made, because they did not want people digging into the old civilizations that were here, the different beings that were here that were showing up with evidence. Yeah. Yep. Well, you guys, uh, we're going to go ahead and um, call it on this episode. And we're going to get into um, Helena Blavatsky and get a lot closer to talking about Lemuria and Mu in the next episode. It's going to be really interesting. So definitely stick around for that one. And uh, I hope you guys thought that this episode was as out of this world as we did. Mm -hmm.